Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every even every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. Today is Sunday, September 4th, 2022, and I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and we are back live from Austin, Texas, where the weather is a little bit less hot (laughs) and slightly wetter than the last time that we were live in August. Yay, the cooler weather is coming. And we have another great program in store for you today. Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us, of course, to make the show run smoothly as usual. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Cantor Michael Zusman, a former Jewish prison chaplain and current multi-faith federal hospital chaplain and advisory board member of Death Penalty Action. Cantor Zusman joins us to discuss his group, L'Chaim, Jews Against the, the death penalty. And then later in the program, Art will be letting us know about some musical happenings coming up. And along the way, I'll give you a little sneak peek into the talk I gave online to a group of seniors around the country last week about living a passionate life no matter our age. And after the show, you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links given by my guests on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also hear it on Apple Podcasts. For information from previous programs and to find out about and to listen to all the previous programs, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com. And you can also go to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years and Apple Podcasts for all of the podcasts dating back for the last almost nine years. And for upcoming programs and events, go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by AMightyGoodTime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your days connecting with other people. So be more active and start connecting. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere because it'll be very brief. We're going to play a couple of our other sponsors' commercials. And when we come back, we'll be joined right here by Cantor Michael Zusman from L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining us on the phone, we have Cantor Michael Zusman, who is the founder of the group L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Dr. Carpell. It's an honor to be here. 
Thank you for joining us. I just want to mention before we go further, just for your benefit and also for listeners, that there's a slight delay when we talk like this. So um, we have to keep that in mind or it trips us up. <laughs> so thank you again for, for joining us. And um, first, how are you feeling? How's everything going? Oh, I'm feeling much better. Thank you. I recently uh, had a little bout with COVID. It was my turn, but uh, we are we are turned the corner and uh, grateful that we were vaccinated. So uh, it wasn't as as bad of a case as it might have been. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. You sound good. So that's that's good. Thank so, you. Yes, it's good to be back in good health for the high holidays coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so, Michael, before we jump into this really important topic, um, can you give our listeners a little bit of information about your background? Certainly. I am a, a cantor who was ordained at the Jewish Theological Seminary in 2008. And um, after that, I worked full-time as a cantor in Vancouver, British Columbia, at that time, I also uh, decided to, to become the Jewish prison chaplain for various reasons, um, the Jewish prison chaplain for all the federal prisons in British Columbia. And there were about 10 or there were about 11 of them at the time. And that was uh, a part-time position that I did concurrently while I was a cantor in the synagogue. And then after a lot of soul searching, I decided, decided to shift from the pulpit to a full-time chaplaincy. Originally, my intention was to become a full-time prison chaplain, but the training that I needed was not available in that setting. So I took a residency at a forensic psychiatric hospital here in Washington, D.C., St. Elizabeth's, and um, that had uh, exposure to lockdown facilities and what I was looking for. And uh, unfortunately, there were no positions available in the prison world when I was uh, ready to take a position. So I took a position in a um, in a hospital where I'm grateful to be working in Maryland. And I've been doing that ever since, while also um, uh, continuing uh, activism and advocacy for this important issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what led you to start this group, Jews Against? the death penalty well um it was actually i would say the biggest impetus the most direct one was the federal killing spree of uh, 2020 to 2021 and that refers to the 13 uh, men 12 men and one woman who were put to death by the federal government during that time uh the hospital i work for uh is a federal hospital i'm i'm a federal uh, chaplain and mm-hmm. i took it quite personally when my uh employer was um putting people to death uh, this was of course when uh covid was rampant and people were dying left and right and um and then we were adding to that death toll by intentionally putting people to death i of course had the experience as a jewish prison chaplain in the past and so i decided to make a point to start writing to all the individuals who were in line for uh, for state-sponsored killing and to apologize to them on behalf of the federal government that we, my employer, that would be putting them to death. Mm-hmm. I, in the process, got quite involved uh, with um, my colleague and the co-founder of L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. His name is Abe Bonowitz, and uh, he is the... Uh, co-founder and director of Death Penalty Action. He's been on the front lines of uh, activism for uh, decades, I'd like to say, since I've been in diapers. Um, And he uh, really opened my eyes to um, what the possibilities were to become more active in this issue. I remember very distinctly one time he said to me, you have a voice. As a cantor, I took that very personally. And Mm -hmm. I started to use that voice um, in online vigils during COVID. All the vigils became online because we couldn't be there in person. And I would start to chant memorial prayers for um, the victims of the crimes uh, of of, uh, execution cases 
and also Psalm 23 uh, in Hebrew while we were putting to death uh, the individuals that were, um, that were condemned. And all that activism led to an increasing desire to mobilize the Jewish world on this issue. I became more and more informed about uh, the Jewish, uh, the history of Jewish abolitionists, which is vast. Abe himself is Jewish. Um, there were many generations of individuals uh, who um, started doing this work long before I was born. And um, even tracking it back to one of the most famous death penalty abolitionists, Elie Wiesel, who famously said, mm. death is not the answer when he was asked about the cause. And uh, he has other quotes that I'm happy to share with you as if we have time. But, but um, the bottom line is, there is a long-standing tradition of uh, death penalty abolitionists within the Jewish tradition, and my goal was to mobilize that. And so that's why we started L'Chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty. And we are in touch with um, all the Jews that we know of on death rows throughout the country, as well as every other individual who is given a, an execution date. Uh, and some of them are very responsive, others not so much. But we have, uh, myself particularly, we've uh, developed a correspondence uh, over email and in writing with many of these people who are in line for death. And we witness the, the psychological torture of having a date that you, that you wait for, that you know you're going to be put to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go more mm-hmm. into that as well if you want, but I want to give time sure. for, for any questions that you have. But that, that's the long and sure. short of it. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting that you talk about federal death penalty because when I think about I live in Texas and I just I think about the state sponsored death penalty and here in Texas. So I had forgotten that the federal government still uses the death penalty. Um, yes, uh, I had as well. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I, I had as well. It wasn't until the Trump administration um, really uh, ramped it up that uh, I became aware. And actually, uh, I'm holding in my hands a book that um, we were that I co-authored with some of my multi-faith clergy colleagues in uh, the Wabash Valley of Indiana, which is near Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute is where the Federal Death Chamber is located. And there's a group called the Interfaith Council of the Wabash Valley that wrote a book. It's called From the Killing Fields of the Federal Government, Interfaith Essays on the Resumption of Executions. And myself and various others have essays in here that talk about this fact that no matter what state we're in, no matter what jurisdiction we are in, if we are American, we are our government kills in our names. The federal mm. death penalty is a is a reality. Mhm, mhm. You know, and I I know that the research and say you know people have asked me, well, why are you talking about this as a psychologist? That's political, but uh, you mean you just brought up the <laughs> psychological part of it, and I think it affects all of us when we're part of that. But also the psychological research has found that the death penalty is not at all a deterrent for violent crimes. Um, there's no correlation in death penalty in keeping people from committing a violent crime. That's absolutely correct. I encourage listeners to go to the website. Uh, it's a neutral website called Death Penalty Information Center, DPIC. And if you type in the word deterrence, you'll get to their page that focuses on the meta studies about this fallacy of deterrence. And time and again, it's proven that deterrence is not real when it comes to the death penalty. And when it comes to the relevance and the psychological component, I can't emphasize enough that um, that role of, um, of torture of uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I work with the I work with the dying regularly, I, I as a chaplain as in hospice settings and, and otherwise. Um, there is a specific torture to someone who is the, who who knows the exact time that they're scheduled to die, and that is even exacerbated when 
the person is waiting beyond that time for a phone call or lack of a phone call. I mean, um, I could go into many, many stories about that. But I want to also mention you had referred to how um, some people might see this as a political issue. Well, I, I take issue with that um, mm-hmm. I, because I deal with this in terms of synagogue um, politics, as it were, or as I want to bring this issue up in various synagogues throughout the country, I'm often told, well, we don't want to bring that in because it's a quote-unquote political issue. Frankly, I see it as a human rights issue. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, when it comes to uh, the right to life, um, this is a violation of every definition of, of human rights uh, known to mankind. So uh, for me, it is, it is a human rights issue um, and not a political issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other, you know, I went looking through some of the links that I found um, that are on your your blog page and uh and on your twitter and i i found the the twitter page about john susan who's on death row and mm-hmm. the information now i work with veterans with, who have ptsd um that's my day job is evaluating veterans for ptsd and trying to get them help and um it talked about the research um there you know, first of all, that one in 10 on death row are military veterans with PTSD. And the mm-hmm. um, changes in the brain um, from someone who is on the front lines of combat um, at the age of 20 and under um, exposed to that trauma causing more severe PTSD that leads to the violent, the violent behavior. Um, yes. Uh, that's absolutely right. Uh, John Thusen is a, is actually one of our pen pals. Um, he's mercifully one of the ones that we're, we're connected with who does not have an execution date right now. I pray he never gets one. Um, and uh, uh, there are many others with whom we've been in touch who have been executed who are veterans. And in fact, the next individual that Texas is putting to death, John Henry Ramirez, going to be on the holiest day of the year in the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, October 5th. And John mm. Henry Ramirez is a, a veteran. He's a former U.S. Marine diagnosed with PTSD, and it's been established the role of the training in violence that has contributed in his case. And um, uh, we are in touch with him. We've been in touch with him. He was supposed to be put to death on Rosh Hashanah last year, which is the Jewish New Year. And he was delayed at the last minute after a harrowing three-hour delay of waiting for a phone call. He was stayed. And now he has this new execution date. So um, you're right. The the number of um, people who are on death rows, innocent and guilty, I I know others, uh, James Daly in in Florida, who is a a, a veteran. uh, And in my opinion, I will go to my grave believing is innocent of, of his crime. Um, mm-hmm. who are uh, who who are on death rows, and I also want to mention, if I may, um, regarding the relevance um, as as a psychologist as you are, um, recently there was a and i i I can go through my links to find to find it. there was a a survey put out by the APA um, for psychologists to weigh in on whether on on brain development and um, mm-hmm. on whether the death penalty would be appropriate for somebody who is, whose brain is not considered by science to be fully developed. And, and um, that study, so that ties into, you know, in John's case where, you know, he was 20, and you might know more de- details than I do, but my understanding is that the human brain doesn't fully develop until the mid-20s. And so what does yeah, that say 25. about... Yeah, about 25. Right. Right. So, so what does that tell us about putting somebody to death before they are fully developed uh, in that way as well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And and the research that I was reading from that Twitter page talked about and it makes a lot of sense. Talked about how the severity of the PTSD is much worse when the individual is younger. You know, when yes. the brain is still developing. 
yes, uh, I, I, um, I applaud that, that that Twitter account is um, Friends of John Thusen, and uh, they have done tremendous work in collecting that data and presenting it. And um, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you're you're talking about the federal um, death penalty, but many states still have it, like right here in Texas where I live. Um, do you know how many states there are still that are still using the death penalty in the United States? Um, that's a good question. Offhand, I don't exactly have the figure. I believe it's in the, tw- the 20s for the number of states that still have it on the books. Uh, the, the, I, again, I, I welcome, um, I direct people to that website, Death Penalty Information Center, for, um, mm-hmm. to get the latest. What I can tell you is um, the states that currently have active execution warrants because we have letters okay. out and are in touch with, with all of them. And, of course, as you know better than most, Texas is, is right up there. Um, mm-hmm. Oklahoma recently uh, um, opened the door for 25 um, death warrants. So they're scheduled now for one killing every month for the next two years, and these are scheduled dates. So we're in touch with all these folks. The last person in Oklahoma, by the way, was on August 25th, James Coddington. Uh, the parole board recommended clemency for James Coddington. They said this person meets the criteria for clemency. And the governor denied him, went against his own hand-picked parole board and denied him clemency, and he was put to death. So he's the first of, of hmm. 25 in Oklahoma. Missouri also has uh, uh, an active uh, death warrant out now for November 29th. Alabama has the next one in our country. On September 22nd, Alan Miller, who's documented severe mental health related issues, and uh, he's scheduled to be killed the next in our country on September 22nd. So those are the four states that currently have um, that currently have executions on the books. Other states that have carried them out since I've started being active in this role in the past couple of years include uh, Mississippi as well um, and Georgia. Um, it's been, Florida has been on a, on a hiatus for the past few years and um, as has California, but, but it's important to note that those two states still have the death penalty on the books and could start up at any moment again. Mhm. Mhm. Ah, okay. So now, what? What do? What do you do? I, mean, I went. I you know how? What can we do? I went to the deathpenaltyaction.org website. I signed a bunch of petitions there. Um, mm-hmm. Are there other things that people can do to help? Well, that's a great place to start. Um, uh, Death Penalty Action is linked in with um, all of the various um, state uh, organizations and uh, abolitionist networks. And so definitely in terms of signing petitions, getting on mailing lists, knowledge is the first, is, is the first step toward making, making this end. And uh, the emails that we would that you'd get from death penalty action will go a long way toward keeping people informed about what's happening. Um, uh, the finance, there's always a financial need. Um, I, uh, I, I I'm not in I'm not on the uh, I, I'm not employed by death penalty action. I'm I'm a board advisory member, but I know that finances are always something that are looking be are, are needed in that organization and any others as we try to make people aware of what's going on. So there's that element of it. Um, but uh, also, um, uh, I would I would say what was said to me, what was said to me was you have a voice. And um, so y- y- the, the only way that this plague, and I will call it a plague, on our land is going to end is from the bottom up. It's not going to end from elected officials like the Oklahoma governor who went against his own his own parole board for votes because he's up for re-election. 
It's not going to happen at the hand of, of the of judges or justices. You know, the current Supreme Court is, um, as uh, as often is said now, is like a greased rail toward the execution chamber. Mm-hmm. Any sort of any sort of petition that gets to the highest court is is for the most part denied. So we can't rely on that. It really has to come from the bottom up. And, you know, my reach as Jewish clergy, as former prison chaplain, as someone who's active on social media, really is is um, focused on the Jewish community. That's a small percentage of the general community. But um, we each have a voice in our own communities, in our own congregations. You know, to for people who say that this is a political issue, to, to counter that, say, well, actually, no, this is a human rights issue. I mean, for me, it's a very personal issue. I, I could talk about, I know that our time is limited. I could talk about the connection to the Holocaust. I could talk right. about the the methods of state-sponsored murder okay. um, that takes before, place. Um, let, before yeah, we do that, ahead. Michael, there is a caller. So are you open to taking a question? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Sandy, you have a question yes. or a comment? I, I, you know, I have more of a comment. Um, hi, Michael. It's Sandy Freese in Indiana. Oh, um, hi. Uh, uh, hi. You know, I, I want the public to understand that Cantor, Michael Zeusman, and and Abraham Bonowitz have done so much for our nation as far as being both empathetic and forceful when the need presents itself. Um, these two men, um, you know, Michael and I um, have have uh, have been in contact for I don't know two or three years now. But when I see the work he does um, with those on death row. Um, I, I think it's absolutely astounding, and I am in the Indiana Women's Prison now every Thursday evening um, presenting a 14-week curriculum that is based out of Texas, Bridges to Life. Um, there is, and, and I know I can say this because I think I know Michael well enough to say this, every person, every soul is redeemable, and I believe mm-hmm. that with all my heart. So I have to say okay. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Cantor Zeusman. Okay. Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, Sandy. It's an honor to know you as well. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, in the few minutes we have left, Michael, I would, you know, it would be great for you to talk about how how it ties into the Holocaust because I think that's really, when you said that, that really touched me. Certainly. Well, um, let me start with uh, this quote from Elie Wiesel. Uh, his voice is much more powerful than mine. And this is a direct quote. Quote, with every cell of my being and with every fiber of my memory, I oppose the death penalty in all forms. I do not believe any civilized society should be at the service of death. I don't think it's human to become an agent of the angel of death. End quote. Ellie Wiesel, who knew mm-hmm. uh, more than anyone, more, who knew just as well as anyone that when it comes to the power of the government to kill, um, um, that is a line that when it comes to defenseless civilians cannot be crossed. And um, my grandmother uh, was 101. She died just a few weeks ago, and she was a survivor herself. Mm -hmm. And our family, like so many families, was decimated. And when I see this country using means of execution that were direct legacies of the Nazis, um, my my heart almost stopped. So as I was getting involved mm-hmm. in this work, I learned that the most common form of execution is lethal injection, which was first implemented in our world. It had been developed before, but the first to implement it were the Nazis as part of their Achtung T4 program protocol mm-hmm. to kill people deemed unworthy mm-hmm. of life. And that was devised by Dr. Karl Brandt, the personal physician 
of Adolf Hitler. That is a historical mm. fact, and that is the legacy that continues every time Texas or anybody else lethally injects somebody. And now we also have Zyklon B, which was used in Auschwitz, being an option for various states to kill people as they rebuild gas chambers throughout our country. Wow. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what more I can say as a third-generation Holocaust survivor and as someone in line with Elie Wiesel and others like um, uh, Martin Buber and others who opposed the execution of Adolf Eichmann for the same reason and others who were against the execution of the Nazis for the same reason that it brought us to their mm-hmm. level. Um, I don't know what more I can say than uh, presenting these facts to Americans and opening their eyes to it. Right. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And um, and I'm sorry about your grandmother. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. She was a wonderful woman and uh, her legacy lives on always. Yeah. Yeah. And it always, it always disturbed me that a medical doctor who had taken the Hippocratic Oath is present in, or, or even um, it does the injection. Um, that's just... <laughs> well, uh, actually, as far as I'm learning, there are so few doctors willing to, to participate that those actions are falling to untrained individuals who are botching it left and right. One of the most recent executions in this country, it took three hours for the needle to be placed in the longest lethal injection known in mm. our country. It happened, it happened just two months ago. Um, uh, and Joe James uh, in, um, in Alabama. And uh, because, partly because these are, these are people who, who aren't, who, who have no idea what, what they're doing. Um, they're in, in Arizona, there was, uh, that's another one that has actively executed, I should say, and, and has, uses Zyklon B as an option. Um, uh, they recently put to death a man whose mother uh, fled the Nazis um, and uh, whose mother's father was Jewish, and we were in touch with him. And uh, they, in, the, in the, the chamber, they didn't know how to proceed, and he ended up giving them guidance on how to place the needle. Because, oh my um, God! And, and they and they took his suggestion. They said, "Okay, we'll try that." And then they and then they did it. Because the previous person in Arizona, they couldn't place the needle, and they had to go through the groin, and there was it, it was a horrific scene. So mm. I don't want to get into gruesome details for your listeners, but um, but you're right. right. And and there's a reason that most doctors are avoiding this, um, having to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, before we go, and I, you know, I would love to have you back on in the future to let us know how things are going and if there's any progress. Um, but I, um, what are the websites again for people to go to to be part of the solution to this? And I will be posting it on my my website, drmaricarpel.com, um, later tonight on the post about this show. I'll, I'll post all the links that you that you give. Thank you. Um, I, I would say uh, first and foremost would be deathpenaltyaction.org, deathpenaltyaction.org. That is a way you can get directly involved. And like the name, it's not just being, you know, um, opposed, but the taking action and and making mm-hmm. your voice heard. For those who are on Facebook, um, our group can be found um, by writing in L'chaim, so that's L apostrophe C-H-A-I-M, exclamation point, Jews Against the Death Penalty. And we recently uh, crossed the threshold of 1,800 members, which is great. That's um, a significant number in the Jewish world. Um, so that can you can type that in L'chaim, Jews Against the Death Penalty, as a Facebook group. All are welcome who are allied with our cause. I would say also Death Penalty Information Center, um, Death mm-hmm. Penalty Information Center. And another great, great um, website and group is called the Death Row Soul Collective, 
the Death Row Soul Collective, and um, that is a place where you can read the um, testimonies and the the, the um, see the art of the humanity, the soul of those in line for state-sponsored killing. This is a, a, a group that has collected the writings to to demonstrate that these are not monsters; these are human beings. Okay, great. I will be posting all of those on my my post tonight my on my website so people can go there and they can just click on it if they didn't get to write it down. Okay, thank um, you so much. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And again, I'd love to have you back on when you when you're ready to, you know, hopefully there'll be some progress and and uh, abolishing this. Um, Amen. As the Yiddish yeah. phrase goes, from your mouth to God's ears, uh, may it be That's so. That's right. And I'd be happy to right. get back on. Okay. Wonderful. Um, and wishing you a, a wonderful holiday. Thank you very much. And good health to everybody. Stay safe out there and um, hope to stay in touch. Okay. Great. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Um, Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on um, blogtalk on drmaricarpel.com. Before we go to Art, who's going us to listen on music happenings, I want to talk a little bit, just for a few minutes, a sneak peek into the talk that I gave um, on Monday to a group of seniors around the country about living a passionate life. So a lot of this is, you know, what I've discussed before, but maybe you haven't listened in before and um, kind of more consolidated here. And um, I don't think it's that far from what we were just talking about with Cantor Michael Zeusman because living your passion is not just, it's not just about doing things that you enjoy, although that is a part of it, but also doing things that create meaning in your life. And so um, joining groups, Um, joining organizations, writing letters, signing petitions about issues that you find to be important, that are really important to your heart and your soul, um, are part of living a passionate life. So it's not just about just having fun, although fun is an important part of life, um, but we also want to create meaning in our lives. And... um, joining with other people, um, connecting with other people that are like-minded is a really important part of living a passionate life, and that actually does bring joy. When we know that we're doing something important, that we're saving lives by just writing letters, even um, connecting with other people who are on the same you know, on the same in the same place as us that feel the same way that we do, um, does bring passion and joy. So it's I'm not jumping to a completely different topic here. It's all related. And I, you know, I think that, and I've made this point many times before, and this is the point that I make in in my book that having a dream and um, following it, no matter our age, um, may feel scary, but it gives our life direction and meaning. So 
our dreams um, could be belonging to an organization such as the deathpenaltyaction.org or Lachayim Jews Against the Death Penalty, or it may be something completely different. But when we let ourselves get involved, that's what brings our life meaning, and that's what brings uh, joy. Um, even if you're having financial success in your life, you can feel stuck in a rut. Because you're not doing what you really find to be meaningful. That doesn't bring you a greater sense of so. Money doesn't buy joy and passion. Um, Money is just a tool to live with, to live by. And when we have money, we can also give it. I I was listening yesterday to a, um, a Buddhist author who was talking about giving money toward um, organizations, making it a point of giving. He gives quite a bit of his income to organizations that he knows um, direct the funds towards saving lives. So he gives gives to organizations that bring clean water to places around the world that don't have clean water, that bring food to places that are um, where people are hungry. And um, money is an important um, uh, tool that's needed, and we can use that tool to help other people and bring our own life joy and passion when we do that. And that can get us out of that feeling of being stuck in a rut, which a lot of people are feeling these days after two and a half years of COVID and feeling disconnected from other people, um, having to give up possibly uh, passionate pursuits during that time because of because of COVID and the danger of being infected. Um, People are starting to feel, people are feeling stuck in a rut, feeling that they don't know what to do in their lives to create meaning. Finding something that you feel really passionate about, that you feel is important, um, donating money, donating time, writing letters, signing petitions, that's all part of getting out of that rut and in, and giving your life meaning again. Also finding um, the peace within ourselves. Very often, if we don't feel peaceful, then we are unable to think clearly enough to be creative, to help other people, to follow a creative pursuit, to follow a meaningful way of helping other people. So passion is, is really important. Um, and I'm going to talk more next week about self-compassion. That's the next part of this um, process of creating meaning in your life is being compassionate toward yourself so that you can then be compassionate toward other people. So on that note, we're going to go to Art, our producer from Accomplice Entertainment, who's going to talk to us about music and, and um, joy in music.
All right. Welcome, Art, to this side of the microphone. Yay. <laughs> what is going on? What is going on? That's a song by uh, Marvin Gaye, isn't it? Uh, I, I don't know. It is, is it? What's going on? I don't know if that's the title. Yeah, something like that. So what is yeah. going on? Quite a bit, quite a bit. Just want to tell you a couple of people that are going to be on the show and a couple of things that have changed. And uh, just having a interesting time for the last month. Um, Tamika Jones will be on next week. And this is really funny because I was trying to get in touch with her while we were in California, and she had just moved to California. And then uh, she just got the message that I sent her on, uh, what, like three months, four months ago when we were in California last week. And oh, so wow. We made a range- so we made arrangements, arrangements for her to be on on the 11th, and uh, she'll be talking about her move over there and all the things that have been happening. Uh, also, I think you remember Spagnola, the crazy guy from uh, New Mexico. I'm getting in touch with him to uh, talk about his time since he, we haven't talked to him since the pandemic. And uh, so that ought to be pretty interesting. And yeah. also... Just wanted to let people know that uh, Accomplice Entertainment is now an LLC for a project that we're working on, and uh, we can't really talk about it right now because it's uh, just making sure everything's covered. And uh, you have become part of Accomplice Entertainment, and uh, we'll be heading the financial department of that of our group. And mm-hmm. uh, so Larry was all excited about it and uh it's it's good you know we're, we're just growing and it's just amazing how things are happening but um the project that we're working on right now like i said we can't talk about it right now until we get all the t's crossed and all but i think it'll be one of the biggest things that i've ever done and i've done a couple of nice size projects uh, i created a national group and then uh, signed with a top number one attorney in the world. And uh, now this, I think it's going to be quite interesting. So mm-hmm. but besides that, we're just going to keep on pushing and keep on bringing music to you. Uh, it's time to take it away. All right. Okay. Thank you, Art. All right. Um, so I'm looking forward to all the music that's coming to the show. And let me let you know what's coming up next week. As Art said, the musician, the guest musician will be um, Tamika Jones. And we will also have um, Minerva of the twins, Ruben and Minerva in Bandera Bay, Mexico. They usually tell us about different travel destinations in Mexico, but this time Minerva is going to talk to us about their recent trip to Germany for a month. And then Ruben will come on the following week and tell us his version of the trip. And the main guest um, next week, which is September 11th, um, will be Lori Bonavere, who is a licensed clinical social worker in Oregon and a custody evaluator and child advocate for more than two decades. And she helps parents navigate high-conflict custody battles and win the war for their child's health, safety, and well-being. Um, She's going to join us to discuss her new best-selling book, You Don't Have to Crush Your Ex, Hints, Hacks, and Hell Knows to Win Your Custody Evaluation. So I know um, that's a big issue for many parents going through a divorce, and she is going to talk about trying to do that in a, in the most peaceful way. Um, and if you want to hear tonight's program again and get all those links that my guest, um, Cantor Zeusman, talked about this evening, 
Um, you can go to my website later tonight, drmaricarpel.com, and everything will be right there. You'll be able to click on all those links and listen to the podcast. You can also listen to the podcast in as soon as five minutes from right now by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts in five minutes from now. And to find out what's coming up in future programs and um, upcoming events, go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. This show was produced with Productions and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Thank you to my guest, Cantor Michael Zeusman, and thank you, Art, and thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week, and remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 